from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report. Welcome to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. I'm Tyne Morgan with a special Pro Farmer Crop Tour edition. Here's what we're working on for you over the next 60 minutes. As Crop Tour scouts set out across the Corn Belt this week. The East is a beast. The first few days showed the East is a beast when it comes to corn yields this year. As drought continues to grip portions of the Corn Belt, how did dryness impact the crop production picture? Pro Farmer and scouts weigh in. Sold a record farmland sale in Iowa. I've never seen a market like this. Why another bull run on land sales hinges on Iowa's crop size this year. And in John's world, another global temperature record. The 2021 Pro Farmer Crop Tour is presented by Pioneer. For cutting-edge agronomic advice for your farm, count on your local Pioneer team for year-round crop management insights. By Pivot Bio Proven 40. Predictable, productive, weatherproof. Turn to a better nitrogen with Pivot Bio Proven 40. Learn more at pivotbio.com. And by John Deere. Helping you gain ground for the days ahead. The international sponsor for Crop Tour is the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Crop Tour 2021 is also supported by RCIS, by Precision Planting, by Bex, by Ag Leader, by Farm Credit Services of America, by Kinsey, and by AGI. The Pro Farmer Crop Tour rolling through seven states this past week. Scouts checking yield potential for corn and soybeans this year. Pro Farmer then taking those numbers, adding in some historical data to come up with its own forecasts for the season. Nationally, Pro Farmer projecting a corn yield of 177 bushels an acre. That's higher than USDA's August forecast of 174.6. For soybeans, Pro Farmer projecting 51.2 bushels an acre. That's more than a bushel ahead of USDA's 50 bushels currently penciled in. Now, the state-by-state -state breakdown, Pro Farmer's Iowa yield projection at 198 for corn, five bushels per acre higher than USDA, and 57 bushels an acre for soybeans, one below USDA. Pro Farmer forecasting the biggest yields in Illinois with corn at 212 bushels an acre. That's two bushels lower than USDA and 66 bushels an acre for beans for Pro Farmer's number, two above USDA's August forecast. And Pro Farmer says Nebraska corn crop is 190 bushels per acre on yield compared to USDA's 186. Soybeans, 58 bushels an acre, two lower than USDA. Minnesota's crop, 170 bushels an acre is what Pro Farmer has penciled in. That's four higher than USDA and 46 bushels an acre on beans, up three from USDA's August number. Now, Indiana also in the 200 bushel club when it comes to corn, six above USDA. The soybean crop also looking good, coming in at 62 bushels an acre, two bushels ahead of USDA's August forecast. Pro Farmer pegging Ohio corn at 190 bushels an acre, three below USDA's forecast, 60 bushels per acre on beans, two higher than USDA. And finally, South Dakota, where he and dryness was evident. 140 bushels per acre is the corn yield projection by Pro Farmer. USDA currently at 133. Pro Farmer South Dakota soybean projection is 41 bushels per acre. USDA forecasting 39. 
Commodity prices dropping midday Friday after a Reuters report said the EPA is expected to recommend the White House lower the nation's biofuel blending mandate below 2020 levels. The EPA did not comment on the story, but sources told reporters this move would be a major blow to biofuels. We'll have much more on this story as details surface next week. Well, the size of Iowa's crop will play a major part in the price tag buyers pay for land in the state this year. That's as real estate appraisers call the land market in Iowa the hottest in 40 years. Jim Rothermitch of Iowa Appraisal and Research is tracking the farmland market there. He says during the first part of the year through June 30th, Iowa's land market exploded up 25% so far this year. The average statewide price is $10,800 per acre, which is up more than $2,000 from last year at this time. Now the top sale was $19,000 an acre in northwest Iowa. He says a few sales have been north of $18,000 with many in the 16 to $17,000 per acre range. And he says it's mainly farmers paying these eye popping prices, but there are outside buyers entering the market as well. Inflation that's that's, you know, on the horizon that, that's here. It doesn't take much inflation to make uh, owning land look make you look really smart. So people are really wanting to get into this land market. There's more buyers than we've ever seen before. There's people that's never owned land before that's in the market right now. Rothermitch says typically Iowa's market consists of 75% farmer buyers and then 25% investors. But this year it's divided more evenly. And he says with more buyers than sellers today, there are no signs of Iowa's farmland price slowing down anytime soon. Well, federal officials announcing this week they are making mandatory water cuts to the Colorado River. These are the first federal water cuts, and it's the first ever water shortage for a river that serves 40 million people in the West. It comes after a two year projections for Lake Mead show the water level dropping below critical thresholds. That's due to that extreme drought and that the entire Colorado River system storage is at 40% of its capacity. Arizona will be hardest hit by the restrictions, losing 18% of its share from the river next year. That's around 8% of the state's total water use. And farmers in central Arizona, who are among the state's largest producers of livestock, dairy, alfalfa, wheat, and barley, they will bear the brunt of those cuts. New COVID concerns are once again holding up shipments at the nation's ports. According to the latest information from the Marine Exchange of Southern California, 37 container ships were anchored off the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach in recent days. That's the highest number since February of this year. That's it for the news. Still to come, a tropical storm blasting parts of the U.S. This week, we'll get a look at precipitation outlooks from meteorologist Mike Hoffman. That is next. Time now for a check of weather. Meteorologist Mike Hoffman joins us now. Mike, a tropical storm was an issue this week in some key cotton producing areas. But as we heard on the Pro Farmer Crop Tour this week in the Midwest, the majority of the soybean crop just really needs a drink in the next couple of weeks. Good morning to you, Tanya. I think most areas have a pretty good chance of getting at least one uh, batch of showers and thunderstorms. Uh, there are some chances anyway. Let's put it that way as we head through the week across the Midwest. Now, obviously, the northern plains need it the most. That's where the root zone has been getting worse again, especially North Dakota. My goodness, just in the last couple of weeks, 
Uh, we had had some areas of rain and now all of a sudden we're going back the other way. Still somewhat wet in the Great Lakes, although that's uh, been changing as well, turning a little drier. And that wet area around Arkansas and some of the surrounding states has continued for months on end. Look at that, southern New Mexico, southern Arizona. And obviously that's wetter than normal and they're normally very dry there. So that's not like over here where it's really wet. Uh, but nonetheless, a little bit of a difference there. Some dryness through parts of the northeast and obviously the west. That's been the case the whole time. Longer term drought monitor showing the western third just continues very dry, except for southern Arizona, southern New Mexico. And again, getting worse across the northern plains once again. So let's check the overall situation. We have a lingering trough in the northeast as we uh, end this weekend. And then you can see uh, we, we end up with that trough kind of uh, being reinforced by Tuesday with another stronger trough coming into the northwest and the northern plains. That digs into the Great Lakes. That will be some cooler, drier air behind that. There's Thursday and on into uh, the end of the week. That trough kind of lingers, so we may go into a cooler pattern east. Eastern areas stay relatively cool in the northwest, but obviously stay hot in the southern states. Here's uh, Monday's forecasted map up and down the eastern seaboard areas of showers and thunderstorms. No, upper Midwest, northern Mississippi Valley, just hit and miss stuff there in parts of the west. On Wednesday then, that system continues to come east. Good chance of showers and thunderstorms with both of those fronts there. Hit and miss in the southeast and the southwest. And on Friday then, the fronts almost to the east coast with showers and thunderstorms along it. Hit and miss across uh, Texas into the southwest. Here's my 30-day uh, outlook for temperatures. Above normal northeast. Great Lakes, most of the northern tier of states and most of the west. Below normal for Texas and some of the surrounding areas. Precipitation over the next 30 days. I'm going above normal. Most of the Great Lakes, mid-Atlantic, back through the uh, Texas area, Gulf Coast region, and into the southwestern portions of the country with below normal precipitation in the Pacific Northwest. Near normal, which would actually help you folks in the northern plains and the northern portions of the Rockies. Time. Thanks, Mike. Well, we've revealed the pro farmer yield and production numbers earlier on the show, which are partially based on pro farmer crop tour findings this week. So what exactly did the pro farmer leads see scouting fields this week? Brian Grady and Chip Flory join me next. Welcome back to our special edition of U.S. Farm Report, the Pro Farmer Crop Tour edition. And to give us a little flavor of what they saw this week, we have Brian Grady as well as Chip Flory joining us. Brian, we'll start with you because you kicked the crop tour off in Ohio. We were expecting big things from Ohio this week. Is that what you saw? Absolutely. I mean, it, it was impressive out in Ohio. Um, the entire eastern Corn Belt, to be honest with you, but uh, Ohio is, is one of those states that uh, it can be really up and down and, and uh, it's really up this year. That That is a tremendous crop. That's the best Ohio uh, corn crop I've seen and, and probably the best Ohio soybean crop. There's still some time there uh, to, to be determined, but uh, uh, definitely very good crops in Ohio. And then as you got into Indiana and Illinois, did that trend continue? 
Yeah, the the Indiana corn crop was probably the most impressive thing I saw, relatively speaking, in the Eastern Corn Belt uh, this week, and and uh, just really impressive. That that's that's one of the best corn crops I've seen, uh, not only in in Indiana but uh, for any of the states, and and it it's really really good. Soybeans not quite as consistent, I wouldn't say, in Indiana, but uh, it, it's still a good crop out there. Well, Chip, on the West, we knew that there would be dry conditions. We knew that there were problem areas out there. Were you surprised at what you saw, though? You know, in South Dakota, we took a snapshot of the best part of South Dakota, that southeast corner of the state. The, The real stressed crops further north, further west of where we were, but we stuck to our tour spots and we were still off 15%, 15-16% from what we found a year ago out there. So I think it fit pretty well with what we expected to see. I mean, a 15% decline is quite a decline from one year to the next. The difference between dryland corn and irrigated corn in Nebraska, some years you can't tell the difference. This year you can definitely tell the difference, no doubt. There's a 30, 35, 40 bushel difference between irrigated and dry land crops. So that's where the stress in Nebraska showed up. Western Iowa, a little bit of a recovery from last year. Uh, looks pretty good out there, especially that west central part of the state where that was the start of the derecho problem in uh in Iowa a year ago. So a nice recovery in the west central part of the state. And then in Minnesota, it looks like a dry growing season in Minnesota because it was. Uh, The yield potential is off from what it was a year ago. And again, similar to what we discussed about in in South Dakota, we were south of some of the most stressed areas in Minnesota. So there could be a little bit more downside to the 9% reduction in yield that we saw. Well, as, as Chip was in western Iowa, Brian, you were also searching eastern Iowa on Thursday. What did you see? I mean, we knew that we were going to get into some areas where Drecho, that was the headline last year. But as you got out there, now it's more drought this year. What exactly did you see this week? Well, it was kind of all over the place. A lot of uh, ups and downs and, and pockets here and pockets there. And some of those pockets were good and some weren't. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it showed there was a lot of variability. And, and uh, we're not used to seeing that in eastern Iowa. Uh, that That's one thing. You know, we saw it last year because of the derecho and, and some of the late season dryness and things like that. But historically, uh, you know, those, those are pretty solid and consistent numbers that come out of that side of the state. And uh, it just wasn't the case this year. Uh, there's some very good crops out there, very good corn and soybeans. Uh, but there's also some that are well subpar in some of those areas. Yeah, Chip, what you saw in the West, do you think that's enough to make up for the lack of crop in some areas that Brian saw in the East? Uh, of Iowa, of Iowa. Right, I got you. Uh, no, no, I, I don't think so. It, it The Iowa crop is a good crop. It... Uh, I think some of the bushels that we've lost out of Iowa, we may have picked up in Ohio, Indiana. I'm not exactly sure yet. It, it's, a, it, it's a real jumbled, mixed up bag on this thing this year. And, you know, really, the, the bottom line is, are we going to produce enough of corn and enough soybeans to keep up with demand in the year ahead? Brian, real quick, ear counts, that seemed to be a big theme. Oh, How yeah. essential were ear counts this year? Well, ear counts uh, indicate that the crop got off to a very strong start and, you know, we got it planted in a timely fashion. The plants emerged, uh, they shot ears, and, and the ear counts were 
really strong and, and consistent. That was the one consistency that we did see on, on the corn across all the areas pretty much. Uh, grain length, not so much the case. Uh, that, that was more all over the board, but uh, the air counts were definitely the driver when you talk about yields this year. That was the case until we got into Minnesota where our ear counts did drop off. Yeah, we'll get into the demand side of the equation of all of this coming up later on U.S. Farm Report. Well, Fargo, North Dakota has already had more than 30 days where temps topped 90 degrees. The record 39 days of above 90 degree temps that was set in 1988 and the heat. Well, it may not be over. Here's John Phipps. July was the hottest month on record for the globe, but this new high mark passed with little fanfare. Maybe we're just getting used to constantly increasing temperature records. Maybe the fact the middle of the U.S. was one of very few relatively normal temperature spots on Earth. Or maybe we've just given up. For people in Oregon, Spain, Sicily, Australia, and much of the rest of the world, there was no option to just baking it out. The dire report, and I think that is an appropriate description of our climate situation, by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, prompted scanty and short-lived interest. Maybe we were all too busy arguing about who should have to wear masks when. Farmers, who are hoping to cash in on the carbon markets, put less emphasis on reducing carbon emissions, focusing instead on getting paid to sequester carbon in the soil. Meanwhile, other industries and entire governments are adapting to climate change and working to lower carbon emissions. Perhaps it will take a long-running drought throughout the Midwest, or severe flooding from higher moisture content summer air, or a winter where it never gets cold enough to apply anhydrous ammonia for many farmers to take any notice. Climate change is like other problems we farmers face, from weed resistance to soil erosion, so slow that actions to remediate the problem seem hardly worth the effort early on when they would be the most effective. We seem to live in the short term, and it looks like it's getting shorter. Another factor is hassle avoidance. We have developed media tools for rapid and strong criticism of any proposal, but particularly predicted problems. Not talking about or more importantly, not expressing any opinion, makes our lives today simpler, even as it allows unfortunate trends to gain steam. Planning for tomorrow is much easier if that's all the farther into the future you're interested in going. Thanks, John. Well, up next, Machinery Pete, he joins us this week for Tractor Tales. Welcome back to Tractor Tales, folks. This week, we are headed to Western Pennsylvania to check out a 1926 Farmall Regular. Oh, that's a 1926 Farmall Regular. I was going to tractor shows, and it was me and the guy that owned this that had the, I had my F30, and he'd have this Regular. And we kind of had a little bond there, I guess you could say, because <laughs> we were the two with the pre-39 Farmalls. And one day, he called me, and said, I'm going to surprise you. I said, what's that? He said, I'm going to sell you that regular. I got this regular and a 29 regular off of him as well. 
This one, it's not 100% correct. It has a few odds and ends that aren't correct for 26, but that's pretty old. I guess you'd have some stuff change on you over the years. He put the old sickle bar on it. That's the way I bought it. I really didn't do anything to it yet. I have some plans. I have a correct 26 engine to put in it, sitting in the garage. Just need to get around to it and find all the parts because these are very hard to get parts for. The early regulars are a lot different than the later regulars. They look, they look the same, but they have a lot of, they changed a lot. And the 24 even more so. The 24, I'd like to find a 24. It's a neat little tractor. It's not comfortable at all but it's a neat little tractor. Still to come, we've showed you the final numbers. We've talked to Pro Farmer leads, but what were the biggest shocks and disappointments on Crop Tour this week? We hit the field and take you to it next. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report, trusted, timely tradition. Heading into Pro Farmer Crop Tour this week, it was the tale of two crops. East of the Mississippi, plentiful rains are sprouting big expectations. On the west, dryness is dampening crop outlooks. But as Pro Farmer Crop Tour scouts searched fields this week, the crop produced a few surprises. As Crop Tour scouts set out Monday. We've seen some pretty good corn so far along my route. Ohio did not disappoint. It looks a little bit better on those handful of stops that we've made than, than what Ohio corn normally is. Optimism in a state that Eastern Scout lead Brian Grady says typically is hit or miss. And it looks like there's quite a few hits uh, this year. But as the scouts set out farther west, we've run into some drier soils. Turner County, South Dakota, showed scars from the dryness. Right here then in this field, it, it came in at 136. So uh, that's a little bit more like I think a lot of people were expecting and in the drier parts of South Dakota. But Ted Seifert says the potential in soybeans is still there. Soybeans looked pretty good, really pretty good from, from where we were standing. Obviously a little bit drier here. A picture-perfect morning welcomed Scouts Tuesday in Nebraska. Seven and a quarter. In irrigated fields, they liked what they saw. A couple of really good samples, a high of 244 bushels so far, which is excellent. But as Scouts sampled more fields. A lot of lodging. But Judish says wind ravaged fields are almost an expectation in Nebraska. We always find scrubby storm damage. Um, Monday we sampled and saw no storm damage, which is kind of an anomaly. And soybeans? 40 at 51 on a 50. High pod counts showed potential continues to flower in Nebraska this year. We do have a lot of, a lot of populations. It's soybeans that stole the show in portions of Indiana and Illinois on Tuesday. I think this is one heck of a bean crop they've got coming down here if they can bring it to fruition. Agronomist Mark Bernard searched in the east. It just looks like if we can get the right kind of weather to finish this thing out, they should have a heck of a crop. As the corn crop in eastern Indiana and western Illinois also gardener praise. This field we just sampled has uh, several double ears that will be harvestable. And on the east, Five. excellent ear counts that added to the potential for a record crop in Illinois this year. This is kind of the first field that I've been in where I've, I've seen the cobs and really they were heavy. And while the Illinois soybean crop. I have seen just a personal observation, a lot of four bean pods looked good. It's getting better. There's appears to be a few more pods. Some scouts found plants dropping pods in fields, setbacks in soybeans as it's a crop nationwide in need of some rain.
Measuring yields in western Iowa. No skips. And just pretty healthy looking cornfield at this point. Did not disappoint. At least on the soil. Not a lot of cracks. Fields in Audubon, Iowa are still considered abnormally dry on the U.S. Drought Monitor. But Matt Chambers says it's almost a 180 degree difference from last year. We had a drought last year. We were kind of in the heart of the, the worst of the drought. Um, went half of this growing season just barely getting by on moisture. In the middle of July, he says the rains started to fall. This farm, oh, the end of July probably had about seven inches, which was a lifesaver. Washing away heavy drought concerns and reviving hope about the crop. I would say we're going to be close to a record. And right off Interstate 80, trekking up to Highway 71 in Iowa, scouts were also impressed. I think this is a part of the world that is probably a little bit better a garden spot for the state of Iowa this year. Timely rains that may have been just enough. But any rains that this part of the world have received have just been almost exactly what the do doctor ordered at the exact right time. The growth is tremendous, but the pots and bean pods are just not there. And that was a surprise in soybeans for veteran scout Peter Meyer. I would have thought that when the when the beans were stressed due to the dryness, um, you know, that they would have would have come back strong, but it doesn't seem to be that way. With few flowers on the plants, Meyer doubts the pod counts will grow. The prospect of new pods being added at this point are very, very low in our opinion. As scouts were scattered across eastern Iowa Thursday. I knew it was dry. I didn't anticipate it to be quite as dry as what it is. Moisture was clearly missed. I don't think it's drought uh, per se. I think it's dryness and, and it will have an impact late in the year if they don't get uh, some rains. Crop Tour Director Brian Grady says rains need to come in the next two weeks. If you look at the drought monitor map, uh, it shows up as, as being dry. It doesn't show up as being quite as dry as what it um, it is. And from field to field, he says the crops were still hanging on. They had a phenomenal start to the growing season in many of these areas. Phenomenal start with a questionable finish. But we're going to need a, a rain on a lot of this crop here late in the growing season to really um, maximize what yield potential is still out there. And as those eastern scouts inched north. Oh, we got 20 inch rows here in Blue Earth County, Minnesota. They crawled closer to the scouts on the west. We got corn getting in the dent stage. But as scouts grabbed ears in these Minnesota fields, these are good ears. The results were extremely mixed. Our first sample in Blue Earth was monstrous. I mean, it was like right at 270. Then we dropped down to about 190 on our second sample. They need to rain in the next five to seven days to really make a crop here. The inconsistency also played out in Minnesota soybeans. There's still, uh, there's dryness problem here. They're going to need another couple of rains to really uh, fill out these pods and complete the crop. Well, now that we've seen crop conditions and potential, does recent Chinese demand change the commodity price outlook? We'll find out next. Welcome back. Chip Flory, Brian Grady joining us again. Okay, we broke it down state by state. We broke it down and really dug into some of your surprises. But as you look at it holistically, the Pro Farmer Crop Tour this week, Chip, sum it up. Uh, the scouts pulled a record number of samples, 1,710 samples. Last year was a record and we had like 1,540, something like that. So they did a great job, got out there and, and gave us a representative sampling of one big cornfield from from Nebraska to Ohio and, and South Dakota to central Illinois. So it, 
the summary is is that it's like we've talked about all year long, Brian, that we've got two very different growing seasons going uh, this year. We've got the dryness in the West. We've got the very timely and adequate or more than adequate rains in the East. The the thing about the the West is the the timely we kind of spoon fed the the moisture to the crop in the west and it helped it build that yield now can we hold on to the yield that we built in the western belt a year ago we couldn't and there was more more moisture available to it uh a year ago in some areas than what there is this year so we've got to have rain we got to have it now if we're going to hold on to the yield that we did look at yeah, that seemed like the theme all week, but as yeah. you kicked it off the East, I know Chip, you categorized it perfectly the first night of Pro Farmer Crop Tour this week. How did you describe the East? I said the East is a beast. The East is a beast. So as you saw that, Brian, how do you uh, summarize Pro Farmer Crop Tour and the, the crops that you saw? Well, yeah, it, the consistency I think we saw in Ohio and, and Indiana uh, into Illinois. Um, you know, the corn crop was better than the soybean crop in both Ohio and, and Indiana, in, in my estimation. Uh, it was flipped in, in Illinois. The soybean crop was better in Illinois than the corn crop. And, and then in Iowa, uh, I would say eastern Iowa. Uh, they were both about the same. They were very inconsistent. So uh, consistency east of the Mississippi River, inconsistency yep. west of the Mississippi River. Well, we're coming off the latest USDA WASDE report where they gave us a, a, you know, a snapshot of demand. But man, China has been coming to this market daily sales right now. They are hungry for soybeans. It looks like they may be hungry for corn as well. The crops that you saw, is that going to be enough to keep up with the demand that we have on the books right now, Chip? You know, it, the demand that we're seeing from China right now is consistent and it's nice. It's nice to see that. But this is the time of the year that China needs to be booking that new crop supply. And typically we would be seeing maybe two or three one million metric ton sales, not 100,000 metric ton sales happen in a week. So it's nice to see the consistency, but we need to see some bigger sales, some more aggressive sales. Uh, or purchases, I should say, some more aggressive purchases from China. And I, I think it's coming. I don't I don't think there's any question that it's coming. It's just that China is trying to time this thing a little bit. Well, Brian, if those aggressive purchases do come and we may not have a record yield in the U.S. this year is what it sounds like just because of so much inconsistency this year. Do we have the crop to meet that demand if they do come in aggressively? Well, when you look at the balance sheet, there's very little supply side cushion. So, uh, you know, if we take more off the supply and it, it does come down from where USDA estimated as of August 1, that's even less that there's available to buy without tightening up the balance sheet. So uh, something has to give at some point in time. When you get into these situations like uh, we're in both for corn and soybeans, uh, you just don't have margin for error. And uh, we don't have margin for error into the end of the growing season. We don't have margin for error on the demand side of things. And that means that the price is going to be the driver. Uh, you know, prices go down. China's going to probably show up and buy along with others. I mean, everything becomes cheaper and, and they know that the supplies are tight. They're going to book. And that's that's what we're seeing right now. Price goes up. You're probably going to slow down your demand pace. And, and that's how the markets work. 
All right, Chip, Brian, thank you for everything you did this week, giving us kind of an inside look at this year's crop. We appreciate it. Well, we need to take a quick break right here on U.S. Farm Report, and then we'll be back with much more. That's in two minutes. A recent Farm Journal technology survey asked farmers when it comes to precision ag technology, what is most important? And more than half say precise control and reducing input costs. But how long should you expect a return on investment when it comes to ag tech? We explore in Technology Is ROI. From planters putting seeds in the ground to combines tracking every bushel and moisture in any given field, technology is racing advancements in agriculture. We might not be first adopters right out of the gate, uh, maybe kind of see a technology out for a year or two before we decide if we want to use it or not. Every pass, every plant, technology is ingrained in much of what this conservation-minded farmer does. We use technology pretty much every day. Just today I got some spray records from a neighbor that did some spraying for us. Um, left check strips out in those fields so I'll be able to upload those and uh, see them during harvest and cut those pieces out and see if we got a return on that chemical pass. What Scott calls the low-hanging fruit of technology or common technology finds like guidance on tractors, he says is a must and it's driving him into other technologies that require more research. We really got to scrutinize the prices on things and make sure they work for us. Careful consideration and the price versus payoff piece of the puzzle is something where this Indiana farmer is not alone. Farmers really want to know that value proposition of technology. Ohio State University's John Fulton says the return on investment can be big, but the upfront costs are often the focus for farmers. Some of these technologies aren't cheap. We see some of the planter technologies, you know, we'll be cutting, uh, a farmer may be cutting a check of 30000 40000 to, to retrofit or, or to have that technology on that planner when it comes from the manufacturer. Scott says investments are measured on his farm in various ways. We had two row shut off system before. Now every row shuts off and kind of surprising how much more seed savings we had there. But Scott says he has a high bar when he decides to adopt technologies on his farm. I have an expectation of what it's going to do for us when we we get it. So I, I do kind of want that immediate response from it. It may take a few years to pay for it, but we want to see some of the benefits right away. A recent Farm Journal survey found 67% of farmers expect a return on investment in three years, and 22% expect the payoff to happen even quicker within one year. Most of our data would suggest that, uh, you know, from a guidance and section control, you know, the, 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 the really it's a, it's a one year, if not a two year maximum. Uh, in terms of payoff for those technologies. But there are other tools that Fulton says take longer to see a return. Verberate fertilizer in some cases can be a little bit longer in terms of uh, a payoff. It could be six, seven years just because you got to go through a couple of applications to see the, the value of that. Farm Journal agronomist Ken Ferry puts plots in every year to drill down the price tag and payoff of investments. The biggest benefit I've seen from implementing a full VRT program on the farm is definitely ROI. And he says dollar signs aren't the only factor when figuring the ROI. The ROI uh, for seed costs usually goes down. So our seed expenses go down. Now we can add a little bit to that VRT and also make sure you got row clutches so you're not, uh, of course, over planning on the ends. But 
Typically, the seed cost goes down with our BRT customers. From reducing input costs to driving higher yields, reaping big rewards is a constant quest. On average, 4% on some of those technology savings to the farmer in terms of inputs used. Uh, but we've seen easily 7, 10, and depending on the field size and shape, uh, it could be in the 30% savings department as far as inputs. And next month, we'll dig into how technology is getting out of your comfort zone. Well, up next, Sean Phipps. More than you want to know about WASD. Technology is a U.S. Farm Report special report is brought to you by John Deere. week we took a deep dive into the markets now that pro farmer crop tour gave us a better grasp of crop potential this week but last week it was usda's august crop report that headlined the markets here's john phipps last week's world agricultural supply and demand report the infamous WASD from the usda has been dissected and critiqued by experts traders and farmers by now but as I explained when I talked about the carryout, there are many other entries that may confuse some of our viewers. While WASDE includes domestic and world production of many crops, we're going to use U.S. corn for our example. Note there are four columns. First is the previous full crop year final figure. We're at the tail end of the 2021 crop, so the first number is still for the 1920 crop. By now, the current year number ought to be very close, just like your budget numbers in December. The third column is the WASDE report just before this one, in this case, July. Finally, on the right is the new information being published, the estimates for the most recent period. The U.S. numbers are all in acres and bushels, of course. But the same basic information, supply and demand, is included for other countries, and just to make it confusing, all of them use metric tons. So comparisons between the U.S. and the world need some revision. The various report categories are pretty self-explanatory. Farmers and traders tend to look first at acres harvested, which is what was planted minus acres lost to drought, flooding, or chopped for animal seed like silage. Next is the estimated yield. The August crop report is the first one this crop year with an in-field survey, since the ears are big enough to examine. The other key numbers are at the bottom line, literally. How many bushels do we end up with this time next year? And what might that mean for prices? Now remember, this is a national average price. Local prices can vary depending on local supply and demand. Two other notes, when ethanol use took off, the USDA began to show that number separately, but it is actually included in the food, seed, and industrial total. The feed and residual total is largely back-calculated from the number of animals on feed. The residual is typically less than 1% and is used to adjust for known inventory totals. It's kind of like the miscellaneous on your budget. Media reports of the WASD will almost always include the numbers experts were expecting. Usually the report numbers are compared to the average of these guesses, but also note if the report number exceeds either the high or the low, called outside or exceeding the range. This often prompts volatile market action immediately after report. Finally, rumors of, a, of government manipulation of USDA reports do make for exciting gossip, but repeatedly have proven groundless. 
Thanks, John. And you can email John your questions at mailbag at usfarmreport.com. All right, up next, a farmer whose grain system has grown over the years. And today, he says he makes more money with his personal grain elevator than he does as a farmer. We'll show you how next. Well, next week, we're kicking off Farm Journal Field Days. Three stops, three in-person locations. And U.S. Farm Report will have a live taping from the stop in Colby, Kansas. And it's that farmer who is breaking the mold as details never go unnoticed, even when it comes to his grain system that's grown over the years. The technology that's in the bins really helps us are the fan control systems that monitor the moisture and the ambient temperature and we put in parameters of goals for the moisture that we want and, and we've got 660,000 bushels actually in the one bin so we've got several million dollars worth of corn all in one pile that we don't want to go bad. So uh, I say those, those things pay for themselves in a week, the monitoring systems, because we figured out if we'd we can blow a $1,000 bill by running the fans all night when we didn't need to, to run them. <laughs> I think when we put that system in, it was less than $10,000. Wow. To pay for itself in one week. Now that's just a taste of what you'll see at Farm Journal Field Days this year. And you can join us for Farm Journal Field Days in person at one of the three locations next week, which are all on your screen. Our live taping, remember, will be on Friday in Colby, Kansas. But you can also participate in Farm Journal Field Days virtually this year. To sign up, just go to FarmJournalFieldDays.com. Well, that's all the time we have for this weekend. Thank you so much for watching. Be sure to tune in next weekend as we work to build on our tradition. Have a great weekend, everyone. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.